0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio.
1: My name is Adam Chandler. I was a Hofstra graduate of uh, 1996, but I participated in WRHU from
0: 1994 to 1996. Okay. Um, what sort of programs or departments did you work in while you were at the radio station?
1: That was primarily in the sports department. And I was the play-by-play and occasional color man for football, basketball, softball, lacrosse. And I think we even experimented with volleyball on on one or two occasions. And then my senior year, uh, along with Thad Brown, we were the co-hosts of Airwave at 1 in the morning on Friday going into Saturday, which just goes to show you what kind of a social life we had on Friday nights.
0: Uh, don't knock it. I, I I got my start there on Friday nights at 1 a.m. So uh, you know I, I consider it to be a to, to be a great spot. But yeah. so you did airwave. Did you do any other music shows or community programs?
1: I was uh, the occasional board operator for uh, classical music in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. also for uh, Pat Thompson and Tony Jackson's Irish music shows.
0: Did you have any titles or management positions while you were at the radio station?
1: No, I think uh, play-by-play, play-by-play, color man and host was about as high as it got. Uh, At the same time, I was uh, also in leadership positions with Hofstra Television on the other side of what was then Dempster Hall. So I was the sports director and the program director uh, concurrently when I was uh, active at WRHU.
0: Okay. Did you use your real name on air? Did you have any nicknames or on-air personas?
1: Yeah, I used my real name, but it was also called The Captain. Um, I, I, that, was, that was not a, a riff on The Captain and Tennille. Um, I, I don't know where that came from. I think like most nicknames, they just sort of fall out of the air. So that was uh, the, the nickname. When people didn't want to call me Adam and you know they, they thought I had, I guess, a, a nautical presence, they uh, called me The Captain.
0: Very good. Uh, Two-part question here. Answer whatever makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. What was it that first brought you to Hofstra Radio? And then for those of us who may not have been there at the same time as you, where was it? What was it like? Do you remember people that you met as you got to the station for the first time? Mm.
1: So when I was first introduced to WRHU, I think they were still in the basement of one of the lecture halls. Uh, the same one that had Bits and Bytes, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they had a uh, as expansive a presence as they do now in um, in the communications building. But I got involved uh, probably by way of folks like John DeCepillo, who had a you know, very storied career in broadcasting. John Lane, uh, you know, ultimately Lon Samuelson. You know, at the time, I was you know heavily immersed in. Sports broadcasting, but on the TV side, and I was doing you know more stand-up reports and anchoring, but really did want to get into play-by-play. And there were a few football games uh, on the road where John Decepolo and John Lane, who were the play-by-play and color man, they were broadcasting, so I got to observe, both with eyes and ears, how they were conducting themselves. And I just, I just really sort of fell in love with, you know, the kind of the chemistry they had and the way they narrated the story of the games. And I thought, well, that would really be great to be able to do that. And I, I thought that would really round me out from a, a sports broadcasting perspective. Um, plus, I thought it would make my brain sharper, too, right? plays are happening. You're always on the go. You always have to be responding and announcing to the action as you see it. So, um, I think it was, you know, the friendship I had already had with, uh, both Johns Decepolo and and Lane that, that got me in and inspired me to do more with radio.
0: Okay. So you were already active over at Dempster with the TV group, and then you made your way over to Memorial Hall, uh, Hmm. to the basement to join up with the radio station. Do you remember when that would have been? What, what semester or what time? Yeah.
1: So interestingly enough, in 94, they were either completing or were about to complete the construction of the radio station of WRHU in Dempster, in Dempster Hall. There was that whole extension in the back of Dempster Hall, which was essentially WRHU. So mm-hmm. as I was moving into radio, that building was, I think, about to be completed. And uh, Bruce Avery, who I believe is uh, still leading the way over there as the general manager, um, you know, he really tried to elevate the, the craft of, of WRHU, not make it just some schlocky radio station where anybody could just hop on the mic and, and play records. Um, I recall there was a, a free nighttime class, that he uh, had interested participants take. And that was essentially what got you your license to to be on the radio, either as an engineer or as an on-air personality. And, um, you know, you had to take a test. It wasn't, uh, you know, just, hey, take the class and voila, you're certified. There was a little bit of, of rigor around you gaining entry to, to be on the air. Um, so I, I admired that and I thought that was, a really good thing to do uh, as this new sharp looking building was opening. So yeah, this new building, you had this new general manager, and then you had this whole new set of criteria that would qualify you to participate in, in WRHU. So I think I I joined at a turning point where you were <laughs> quite literally moving out of the basement and into the penthouse.
0: Right, right. So did you take your classes in the new building or back in Memorial?
1: Uh, for me, it was in the new building.
0: Okay. Okay. So that probably would have been spring of 94 or fall of uh, 94, something like that? Yeah,
1: some, something along those, those lines. Uh, I'd have to look at my transcript to see when exactly that <laughs> happened, but that sounds about right.
0: Do you remember anything in particular that you learned or a good uh, hint or or uh, uh, a piece of advice that you got during those training classes that you kept with you?
1: Yeah, there, there were a few. Um, so, you know, my teachers were Bruce Avery and Sue Zizza. Hmm. And, you know, what I found interesting, they, they co-taught, um, I forgot what the name of the course was, but it was like foundations in radio production. Um, they both had different philosophies. Bruce felt that radio and the transmission of sound from you know a microphone into a system that would eventually be amplified was a miracle and sue was maybe a little less spiritual about it more practical she's like no it's not it's not a miracle this is really good science that's happening but both philosophies did not diminish i think anybody's passion or interest in how things were made in in radio so i like sort of the yin and yang that both brought to the table Um, One thing I appreciated from Sue was uh, when when we were editing audio and we were doing reel-to-reel with a razor blade, you know, that whole kit. um, This was, I think, just before or just as the computer editing technology was was burgeoning in the world. But, you know, I I think that Bruce and, and Sue wanted us to pay our dues. So I remember my first project where you had to edit um, a sequence of numbers, and you had to put them in order. So the raw tape you got was Sue counting, but it, it was one, five, four, nine, and you had to cut up the tape and put it all together. And I think I did a, a pretty crap job of it. And I think Sue came back to me and said, "You, you, you really should do this again because you're not just you're not just cutting tape. You're you're creating an experience for, for the sound, for the ears and the mind. So if somebody is listening to this and they hear one, two, three, four, and then there's a space for five, that's going to be very disconcerting for the listener. So I appreciated how, how much importance she gave to the audio editor hmm. in that they are just as much a part of the audio experience as the person who's doing the announcing, the, the, the talent behind the mic. And then as an extension of that, this maybe didn't come out of the class, but it maybe came out of an extracurricular activity. I remember talking to Bruce and he said, you know, we we want to come up with as many opportunities as possible at WRHU to make you more marketable, right? So that's, again, in production, that's in talent, business if you want it. And I think in hindsight, I probably appreciated that tactic more now than I did when I was a, a, a putsy, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old, uh, mm. because, you know, you're, you, everybody thinks they're going to be, you know, the next Howard Stern or Marv Albert or whatever the, the case may be. Um, now being more in business than I am in media, uh, he was right. I mean, so, so many of the jobs that I have now, um, you know, I was able to design with a lot of the philosophies and a lot of the experiences I had in media. So, so I think there was some value in in that philosophy in developing students.
0: Hmm, very cool. So the first time you get on the air at Hofstra Radio, I, I just want to get this in my head that yep. were were you already doing broadcasting or reporting for the TV end? Had you any on air experience before getting on the air at, at the radio station?
1: Yeah, so actually my on-air experience started in, in middle school with doing a morning, morning announcements through the PA system, and then uh, my high school had a very robust television production studio. And then when I got to Hofstra, I, I dove right in and started doing news reporting and sports and anchoring where the opportunity arose. So by the time I was a junior, which is when I joined WRHU, I had already had some extensive college broadcasting experience. But I remember my first on-air gig was actually a, uh, a basketball game. I th- believe it was uh, Lehigh Hofstra. It was Jay Wright's first year mm. as our college basketball coach. So it was a road game, and Lon Samuelson was my color partner. And I, I just remembering over-preparing for that game so there'd be no dead air. I could tell stories and I just wanted to know uh, all of the players backwards and forwards. I had done a little bit of play by play in high school, um, you know, was you know, local access television. So I knew the stakes were a little bit higher with, with WRHU. So I wanted to be as, as sharp as I could. Um, felt natural. I think, again, as you alluded to a lot of the previous experience that I had. Um, so that that I think was a a very comfortable experience. If you're looking for an uncomfortable experience, Brian. Sure. um, I remember when I was asked to board up for Pat Thompson and then, um, Mm. uh, who who are the two hosts of the Irish show? Was Pat Thompson? Uh,
0: Tony uh, Tony Jackson.
1: Jackson, Tony Jackson. I forget Tony. He's like one of my radio heroes. Um, And it was a a Saturday afternoon and I think the weather wasn't great and whoever was supposed to board up couldn't be there. So I said, sure, you know, I've been trained. I took that free class. I I think I can do this. So I I got there. I was a nervous wreck. And, uh, you know, Pat's trying to do his uh, long Ireland show. And I'm not getting the cues and, um, you know, I'm putting the needle on, on the record like 25 seconds into the song. It was it was a hot mess. And I could tell that Pat was not thrilled and understandably so. And, you know, he, he had a lot of demands as far as, Hey, when we do announcements, I want you to have this Irish music underneath and Hey, can you start a record as I begin talking so I can talk up the record. And a lot of that board operation work was, was new to me. Um, The coordination of all, all the buttons and faders and, you know, Pat liked using records, you know, (laughs) like using that format. So I had to, keep that in mind too. So a lot of coordination. So um, very nerve wracking, um, sort of felt like I I let Pat down. But then Tony Jackson comes into the room and he said, here are the records, just line them up. I'll point to you and tell you when to start. And I said, you know, are there any other cues? Are there any other other transitions I should be aware of? And he goes, Adam, it's rock and roll. That's what we're doing here. It's just rock and roll. (laughs) So he really uh, put in perspective that, look, you're behind the board. You're not curing cancer. You're not doing brain surgery. If the needle skips or we miss a cue, we'll move on. And I think, you know, Tony was a seasoned performer and professional. Mm -hmm. I think he was called the the Dick Clark of Irish music, at least locally. Mm -hmm. So he was a guy who knew how to roll with the punches. And I think also build confidence in very young and inexperienced college board
0: ops. So, so given th- those two very different experiences, mm-hmm. you've got you know here's the sports thing, and I and and you're excited about that, and then engineering for the Irish shows you're a little bit more nervous about that. Do you do you remember a time or a moment where you felt like? I'm comfortable here. I'm good here. This is, I want to keep doing this. Do you remember a time when that might've happened?
1: Yeah. Well, certainly uh, when we were in the throes of, of, you know, doing those play-by-play broadcasts, especially on the road, um, you know, I think that you know doing a craft that uh, you, you really enjoyed, especially when you were prepared and then seeing other parts of the country. I thought that mm. that combination of being an ambassador of the school of the radio station, and yet still being able to partake in, in something that I was passionate about, that's where I said, "All right, this is this is the nexus. I can really get used to that." And while I'm not on the air, you know, as regularly like on a on a you know national or global station now, that whole ambassadorship, that whole travel, that whole you know bringing an expertise to another part of the world. You know, is is something that I still do today, and I you know really got its roots at, at WRHU when I was doing play by play. The other time I felt really comfortable was, and and this was really just having fun. It wasn't about stopping and saying, "Boy, I'm getting into my groove." It was just about enjoying the experience, and that was when I was working with Thad Brown, who's now a sportscaster up in Rochester. We uh, hosted this, you know, very goofy version of uh, of airwave, very very late wee hours of uh, Friday night into Saturday morning, and you know we were playing playing records that are playing music that you know we knew was kind of alternative. We we're playing a lot of B sides and you know bands that people knew, but maybe music that that they didn't. And in between tunes, uh, Thad and I would you know with kibitz and. And joke, and you know, even read some some of the goofier stories out of out of the Chronicle. Uh, you know, maybe we weren't uh, we weren't licensed to do that, but we did it anyway because we figured, all right, it's one in the morning. Who's going to knock us off the air? <laughs> but you know, um, ironically enough, so while I, I maybe at that time aspired to broadcasting, my first full time gig in radio when I graduated was the morning show DJ at an oldie station in North Jersey. So kind of cutting my teeth and doing it with a partner where there had to be a little repartee going on. That, again, was uh, an expertise that uh, began at at WRHU in the very, very wee hours of of Friday nights and the Saturday mornings. But, um, you know, you asked about comfort. Um, You know, there was never a time when, I hosted that show where I, I didn't feel uncomfortable. Or I thought I was doing the wrong thing, or I thought I would be getting in trouble. It was just a natural groove to it. I think they call it flow, right? When you're in the groove and time time is of no essence.
0: Hmm. You mentioned a, a number of names earlier, and, and my question is uh, generally like who – were the people that were helpful in getting you started? You mentioned John DeSepolo and John Lane and Suzeza and Bruce Avery. Were there other people who uh, maybe you learned something from or were just nice in general or made you feel like uh, this is the place where I want to be?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Brian, not to blow smoke up your you-know-what, but I think you were one of those people too, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, with with your leadership and making WRHU accessible uh, to people who... You know, maybe participated at, in something at Dempster, but hadn't done anything at, at, at WRHU. Sort of that open door policy and and showing the ropes. Uh, you know, I think you should be very proud of you know, sort of the welcoming atmosphere that uh, that you fostered there, hmm. because I think that you know was certainly. Uh, I know it was helpful for me, but I'm sure there were other people that were. Like me, mid-college career, that decided, all right, you know, let's let's give radio a try and see if we can make some new friends, but also build a new skill set. So, I, uh, you know, I remember, you know, you being the, the shepherd of that. So, mm. hopefully, hopefully, people are recognizing you for it.
0: Well, well, like you said, I, I wasn't I was looking for the compliment, but I'll I'll take it and uh, I'll, I'll assume you mean it.
1: No, with the utmost sincerity, I also thought uh, uh, Deb Lom, you know, was also very helpful too. And, uh, you know, I thought she was a very talented radio personality, but, um, you know, also liked how multifaceted she was. So, you know, if you, you didn't want to just do on-air radio or production I know that there was a a business bent to her roles at at r h u in fact, i think i when I was on the h t v side i tried to upsell uh a a selling a, a t v commercial on h t v for the benefit of w r h u uh she shot me down but for all the right reasons
0: <laughs> very good uh, so we've got the benefit of hindsight you've you've had uh you know, other experiences and you can look back at your time at, at, at both the radio and TV side, but, um, is it possible, can you put yourself in your shoes at that moment when you said, I'm going to go down to the radio station and check this out? And you you kind of alluded to it before, Mm -hmm. but can you remember what you thought Hofstra radio would be for you at that moment?
1: Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a good question. Um, yeah, as you said, I alluded to it being another doorway into developing not just another skill set, but possibly creating another avenue for a career for me. And, you know, at that time, you know, what did I know at, you know, 19, 20 years old? What was that going to look like? Uh, what jobs were out there? Uh, you really, really had no idea. Um, I, I think what helped was being so involved in Hofstra Television. There, there was a lot of cross pollination with talent mm-hmm. between HTV and RHU, and we were often, you know, trading talent. A lot of the hosts of our shows were also hosting programming uh, on WRHU, and, and vice versa. Um, and I think we're also utilizing each other as guest talent. Like I would be interviewed as a as a sports guy for RHU, and then we'd have you know, people in similar roles on the RHU side interviewing for HTV. So it it made the sort of that first time uh, memory, that first time experience a little less like, all right, let's hit the start button now and this is how it's going to be. I think there was a a gradual easing into what radio life was going to be like. But, um, you know, I I, I guess at the end of the day it was just – wanted to enjoy the experience. Um, yeah, maybe build my craft through RHU, but, um, you know, just do something, do something unique and, and do something that, that I really enjoyed much in the way that, you know, maybe, uh, other folks on campus played intramural softball or did, uh, step shows, things like that. That was sort of, that was sort of my, my thing, right? You know, they say, what's your, um, there was a campaign on TV a number of years ago. What's your anti drug? Mm. So I don't know if we need to put it in those terms, but you know, it's almost like saying, What is your hobby? What's the thing that's going to make you happy, but you know, also constantly energize you to stay out of trouble? And I think, you know, for me it was RHU and HTV and you know, maybe RHU got me into more trouble, but it was certainly <laughs> worth it.
0: Well, Adam, this was this was fantastic, and and uh, I love that you shared what I consider a unique perspective uh, of your career joining radio after TV, and then joining at a time of of great transition for the for the radio station. So I I really appreciate your stories, and I am going to come up with more questions, and we'll talk again, and we'll get some more stories out of you.
1: I, I can't wait. Thanks so much for thinking of me, Brian. This is a great project, and very happy to be a part of it.